following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning. We're turning back to the book of Obadiah. I begin by reading the first verse. It says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Arise and let us go against her for battle. We've talked some about what we see in this first verse, and we pointed out that when it says vision, that that's talking about the way that God used, or the means that he used to get his message into his prophet so that he could deliver that word. And so it's a vision of Obadiah. But the very next phrase says, thus says the Lord. And so we have pointed out repeatedly that what Obadiah is doing is presenting but the content of what he's presenting is not his own. And it says here clearly, thus says the Lord God. And so that covenant-keeping God is the one whose message it is. Now, it says here, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. And this next expression here uh, is very, very interesting. And it's I use the word parallel that throughout this book of Obadiah, we see many poetic elements or whatever the proper word is, but there's a lot of poetry in the way this is given to us. And as I've said before, I don't know the Hebrew, so I can't fully appreciate all of what's there. But one of the things that come through is this idea of parallelisms. And I understand that to be a a large feature in Hebrew poetry, parallelism, parallels of things. And so we pointed to this place being, of these two things being a parallel. We heard a report, a messenger has been sent. Now sent among the nations. And so what we have here is a picture that soon or in the future there were going to there was going to be an uprising of nations against Edom. Nations against Edom. But this is the Lord's message. Arise and let us go up against her for battle. So what's going on here? We've said it before that the battle against Edom, that's the Lord's battle. They're in trouble with the Lord, not the nations who are coming against them. They're not who he, they, Edom is in trouble with. They're in trouble with God. God is using these nations 
to do his bidding. And sometimes when we think about that and we say, well, God is sovereign and he's doing what he does. And we can suspect that the nations really don't understand what's going on in their part. But God rules the nations. He's in charge and he controls. And so none of these things are done except that he ordered them to be so. And so they were going to be in there were going to be a problem, uh, already was, Edom. And now the next verse here, uh, the next section, is rendered in the way that we can think of it as God speaking to Edom. God speaking to Edom. If God is saying something to Edom, Edom needs to listen and understand and heed it. And we need to listen and understand what, a, what is it that God is saying to Edom. Verses 2 through 4. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagles, as the eagle, and there, though you set your nest among the stars, from there, from there, I will bring you down. This is God speaking, and he has a message to Edom. Edom has certain thoughts. They have certain ideas. They have certain beliefs. They have certain understandings. But they now were in a contention. God had something against them. And so God says, I'm going to make you small among the nations. You're going to be greatly despised. Another parallelism here, small and despised. And we said that these parallelisms, is, they are a way of drawing minute attention or focus attention to what the author is saying. So as to, you know, you grab the attention, and then once the attention is fully grasped or is fully in focus, then the word goes forth, and it can be received and understood. And so he says here, God says, I'm going to do these things. You're going to be small, and you're going to be despised, and I'm going to do it. But we just read another verse that these nations are saying, let us rise up. But God says, I'm the one who is doing this. That's important. Now, the next phrase, the pride of your heart. We talked about that a bit the last time as well. The pride of the heart. 
We noted that pride is a universal problem. And at some level, I'm sure we've all have dealt with it or are dealing with it if we're trying to do what the Lord wants. Pride, thinking too highly of ourselves. But it says here, the pride of your heart has deceived you. One of the things that's interesting here is that when we read a few verses farther, we're going to read more about Edom being deceived, but not in that place deceived by self, but deceived by others. But being deceived. The next phrase here, after saying the pride of your heart has deceived you, we get a factual statement. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. Now this is talking about geographical, topographical elements of where they live. And what is given to us is this notion that because of these things, they have security. And so they can put their trust in those elements, faith and confidence, and feel some assurance that we will be safe. They may ha- we may have enemies coming against us, but we have certain reasons to be, believe that we're going to be safe, that, that idea. But then the next phrase where Edom says, who will bring me down to the ground? We call that a rhetorical question the way it's rendered here. And I think that's correct. The sources that I read seem to all say that. And so the rhetorical question would be one where the, there is an assumed answer. It's a question, but in a question form, but there's an assumed answer. And so the assumed answer is no one. So when Edom says, who can bring me down to the ground? Their answer is no one. No one can do that. I call that their perspective. Because God says, I will bring you down. (laughs) Right? I will bring you down. I was thinking about this. And Edom here, as I have said, they have certain confidence, they have certain trust in certain physical elements of their environment. Yesterday at the men's meeting, Brother Dwayne directed our attention to Psalm 27. And as he was presenting, I thought about this. Because I just noted, and I just stated, that Edom raised a rhetorical question. If you look at 
Psalm 27 and verse number 1. Notice what it says there. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I fear? There are two questions there. What kind of questions are those? Those are rhetorical questions, and that's what caught my attention when Brother Dwayne was presenting. Because Edom, they had a rhetorical question. Now, here is something that I find interesting. From the perspective of the Edomites, the answer to their rhetorical question was no one. Who can bring me down to the ground? No one. Now, David, it said, whom shall I fear? His answer is what? The same answer. No one. Of whom shall I be afraid? What is his answer? No one. Isn't that wonderful? So we have two. See, the, the difference is, is where is the confidence placed? That's the difference. So the Edomites, they had a rhetorical question, which had the assumed answer. And David, with his two rhetorical questions, with the assumed answer. And they both had the same assumed answer. One was good, and one was bad. One was for good, and one was for ill. David had a safe harbor. The Edomites thought they had a safe harbor. It makes all the difference in the world. God's perspective they're not looking at it from the right perspective. They're not going to get it right. And so this matter of deceit. So the deceit, deceit of the heart. They've been deceived. And they said, and they made this statement. Here's another thing that I thought about. I thought about Luke. Chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read it for a few verses here. In Luke 4 to 6, no, I mean Luke 6, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 6, and starting at verse 43. <clears throat> Notice what it says here. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. In our illustration, we, we, we assign that to David. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. We'll assign that to Edom. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's the point that I was trying to make here. It seems like what we see here in Edom and with the Edomites and what we see in the first part of, of the book of Obadiah here 
is an illustration of what we see, this principle we see here in Luke chapter 6. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Edom, what was in there, came out. And they said, who's going to bring me down to the ground? And David, what was in his heart, bubbling over and coming out. Of whom shall, who, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? What was in the heart, bubbling up and coming out? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth was speaking. Also, I thought of Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians 6, we see the principle of reaping, or sowing and reaping. In just this one verse, chapter 6 and verse number 7. Looks like I picked the wrong verse. Oh, no, I'm in the wrong chapter. Okay, well, I did. I thought I knew that verse was, was the right one. This says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That's what it says in the first part of it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. God can't be mocked. But it says further there, what a man sows, that shall he also reap. The principle of sowing and reaping. And so now when we get back, the principle of sowing and reaping. So in Obadiah, we see that illustration there. Now, we're going to get more detail in the book of Obadiah about the sowing that Obadiah, I mean, that uh, Edom did, the sowing that they did. And we're seeing about what their reaping is going to be. But according to what they sowed, they're going to reap. Sowing and reaping. Well, that's a general principle there. That's a scary one, too, right? Because we know we sow some things that are just not right. And so we know that we need the grace and the mercy of God. Because if it all depended upon just a blanket, whatever you have done, it's going to be meted back to you with no mercy, no grace, everywhere to enter, anywhere to enter. Neither one of us would have a hope or a prayer. We will have no way to stand before God because without grace, his grace and his mercy, there is no help. Now, so pride and deceit, those are things that are bring destruction. Proverbs 16, 18, I read this one the last time. It says, pride goes before destruction. And a hearty spirit before a fall. Eat them. But you know, we can, we can also fall. Not to the place if we are saved to be unsaved. That's not the issue of our falling. But we can still fall. Somebody was talking recently, I think, in, I don't know, if in one of our men's meetings about the idea of not wanting to be. Come disqualified 
for whatever ministry one might be engaged in. That idea. But mercy and grace of God, see, for the restoration when we fall because he has provided that for us. We know, he knows that we stumble and we fall, but he's provided for us a remedy. He doesn't want us to stay down there. He wants us to rise up and turn our faces to him so that we can be restored. That's what he wants. We talked about Nebuchadnezzar and what he had to go through to learn about this God who rules the nations. That his ways are justice and those who walk in pride, he's able to put them down. Bad to have to learn that the hard way. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, it tells us this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That means that if we are relying on ourselves we're in a bad place because the heart condition will trap us every time if we depend upon ourselves. So we must train ourselves to say, Lord, help me to depend on you, to look to you, to walk in the strength of God and not think I have any strength of my own in, in which to walk. Because I don't. And so God will render to those, to each one, according to their, their deeds. We see that in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 8 to 12. I'm not going to read all that, but the last line of that section says, And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? So there's great harm that can come from being the victim of deceit. And so we say, well, then how do we avoid being a victim of deceit? Well, do you want a verse or 10 or 100 or 1,000? I said it that way because the Bible is just filled full with information telling us how to work at that, how to go about that. But the one I want to draw attention to is right now is uh, in Acts chapter 17. Now, Acts chapter 17. I'm just going to read it from my notes here for the sake of time. In verses 10 to 12, this is what it says. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. 
Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. The point is that we're focusing on is this notion of searching the scriptures. So as we spend time in the scriptures, searching them, learning from them, trying to understand what is it that the Lord is teaching here, what was he saying to those people to whom it, the word first went? And what is it that he wants me to get out of that? But it's more, not just for me to understand, but we have to also ask him, what is what he want me to do about it? Pastor Ray recently, he talks about the kings and how the, the king was supposed to write out for himself, the scroll, the Pentateuch, I think, was what was available there. But see, to write out a copy for himself, but that wasn't the end of it. He was supposed to read it every day. And what was the purpose for that? So that he would be building something in his heart, an abundance, so that out of the abundance of the heart, when it speaks, it will be speaking out what will be stored in there, and if the right things are stored in, when it speaks out, it will be speaking out right things. That's the idea. So, we must work at it so that we're not taken by deceit. I'm going to move on now to the next few verses here. In verses 5 and 6, and I call this a hyperbolic illustration. It's an exaggerated expression that's given in parallel, again. It talks about the eagles, and it talks about the stars. Eagles being high above us, and stars being high above uh, the eagles. Though you ascend, in verse 4 of Obadiah, though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Very interesting things here. But here's what I want to note there, here. So it says here, See, Edom, pride, thinking high of oneself and what one's status is. So if you could ascend to the height of the eagles, if you could set your nest among the stars, these high things. And I talked about the contrast also here, high and low, high and low, this high, that high, all the way down to the ground. God said, I bring it down. And then it gives us illustration. In two parts, he said, okay, now let's consider this. Thieves and robbers coming in. And when they go away, what's left? Well, something's left. They, so they, I can think of it this way, that a, a practicality for them. Usually thieves and robbers can't take everything. Now, I've just read this little in little note in, many of you know about the work that I've done over many years. 
And I worked with a lot of offenders. I worked with offenders. Over a 36-year period, I don't know how many thieves and robbers I worked with. But one thing I can tell you for sure, that they all left something behind. Not a single one of them took it all. Every one of them left something. So those were people who were doing bad deeds, coming in, robbing and stealing, and leaving something behind. And then he talks about the great gatherers, the great gatherers. So to me, this is an interesting thing here, because the great gatherers, it says, well, don't they leave something behind? Of course they do. But I want us to notice something. I'm going to turn to Leviticus. In, in Leviticus, I want, to, I want to just take a look at this again. In Leviticus chapter 19, in verses 9 and 10, here's what it says. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So those who were doing evil left something behind. Those who were doing good left something behind. And, and this says here, the ones who are doing good, they were doing what the Lord commanded. But they left something behind. But as for Edom, what would be left behind? So the way it's given to us, it just draws out in such bold uh, characters that Edom is in bigger trouble than we have adequate words to describe because their battle, their adversary, is the covenant-keeping God. The Lord God of heaven, the sovereign God, is their adversary. And so their plight is horrifying. It's horror. So the thieves out of practicality left something behind. The grape gatherers out of obeying God left something behind. But for Edom, it will not be so. Verse 6, oh, how Esau shall be searched out. And we're still talking about the Edomites, Esau. They're descended out of Esau. How, is, how his hidden treasures shall be sought out. And so Edom, even the things that are hidden, it says, even those things, We'll be taken away. So that means that Edom is in a bad place. Horrifying place. Who wants to imitate Edom? Who wants to follow the example of Edom? Now, here's the thing. If we think about it on a personal 
on a personal level in terms of application. We can be like the Edomites and not be aware of it because of deceit. People, a lot of people, are imitating the Edomites. And some of those people declare themselves to be doing God's bidding while they imitate the Edomites. It reminds me of how the Lord said there will be a time when there will be some who will say, Lord, Lord. Think of that. They're, def- they're presenting a defense of themselves to God. That's bold. And then to, to say, have we not done all these things in your name? How could they do that? They have to be deceived to think that that can be a winning argument. But I'm afraid that many times, in many ways, we're guilty of carrying on the same way as if that kind of thing can be a winning argument. But God says there will be many who will make that argument, and he will say to them, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Wow. Can, that's beyond imagination. To stand up in the face of the Almighty God and to say to him, I'm justified. And here are the reasons why. And for God to say, I never knew you. Depart. Now, that departing is not a temporary measure. The men I dealt with who were sent to the prison, or were in the prison when I dealt with them, most of those men had a release date. Of course, I came across many who sadly was going to be released to the undertaker. That's sad. But most of them had a release date. But when the Lord says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, in that day, there will be no release date. And so we're looking here now, we're seeing an Edom, an Edomites, that they got themselves into big time trouble with God. And God says, you say, who can bring me down to the ground? And your answer is no one. And God says, my answer is that I will do it. We're going to pray and close. Dear Lord, thank you for giving to us your word. Your son, the only begotten Lord Jesus, to be the sin bearer for sinners like us. People who could not have a hope or a prayer apart from the provision of the almighty God So help us greatly to more appreciate what all these things mean and to continually seek your face 
that you might mold and shape us according to the image of the Almighty God. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray with thanks. Amen.